Good morning. Good morning. What a joy it is to be with you all this morning. Uh, what an honor it is to open God's word. Uh, what a joy it's been to sing with you all and being sang to by you all. Um, yeah, it's been wonderful. So thank you for having us. Um, if you have a copy of God's word, please do open it to Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 15. And uh, go ahead and say amen when you get there. Amen. All right, waiting for the right half of the room. Amen. All right, there he is. <laughs> okay, Matthew chapter 15. Go ahead and just put your finger on verse 21. We'll be looking at verses 21 through 28. Uh, before we do anything else, let me pray. Oh, dear Lord, we ask that you will help us this morning. Help us to be eager to hear from you. Help us to be attentive to what is said by you. Help us to see Jesus more clearly. Help us to love Jesus more passionately, to fear Jesus with more reverence, and to be committed to him more faithfully. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, has what you felt ever kept you away from what you need? Has what you felt ever kept you away from what you need? Our feelings can have very powerful control over us. Whether it's shame or embarrassment, or simply an accurate understanding of just how unqualified or undeserving you are, these feelings can keep us from pursuing wonderful opportunities and can keep us from seeking necessary assistance. I'll give you an example. In Pennsylvania, CVS was so unfaithful to put expired items away that they got sued. And they got so sued that for like a few years, if you were in a CVS in Pennsylvania and you found an expired item, you actually got a coupon for $3.50 per item. Now to the normal person, you might go and notice, oh, chopstick, this is expired, $3.50, you get a free bag of chips and a juice. Not for my wife. Not for Mama Davis. Mama Davis heard that and saw opportunity. So she would go and get carts. And one of the first lessons of the sermon is check the expiration dates. But she would go with a cart and found thousands of dollars. We're talking about thousands of dollars worth of expired items. And she had this bag full of coupons. So for about three years, we never paid for anything from CVS. I'm talking about the electric toothbrushes, headphones. She got clothes. We're talking about food. If you could get it from CVS, we would get it for free because we had all these coupons. However, I have this thing about me. And that is, I feel weird using the coupons. 
So I go up there and I just feel that I am being judged. I feel like I am being treated like the scum of all the earth for handing in these little coupons. So I would be very nervous to use them. And it's, it's not wise that I was nervous. My wife was wiser than I. But for whatever reason, just how I felt, that embarrassment I felt, kept me from enjoying free items. And now just saying it, I feel very ridiculous because free is free, amen. Trivial, right? CVS. But it can actually be a very real thing with people. What often keeps us from sharing the gospel with someone we know doesn't know Jesus? Is it not the imprisonment of feelings? Well, we're going to look at a text today where a woman had every reason naturally not to come to Jesus. But her need was too great. She saw Jesus as too worthy, and by faith, she overcame her feelings. And we see that she was rewarded for diligently seeking. Uh, we're in uh, Matthew's gospel. We're in chapter 15. We're jumping right into the middle of the book, and so I don't want to take for granted that maybe some have not been familiar with the book or been reading the book recently, so let's just take some time to briefly refresh ourselves as to where we are in Matthew's gospel. Uh, chapter 15 begins, if you just look there, uh, chapter 15 begins with the Pharisees questioning Jesus about what defiles a person, what makes somebody unclean to God. Uh, assuming, obviously, in their questioning that Jesus' disciples were unclean and their reason is that they didn't wash their hands. But Jesus clearly lays out that it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles them, right? This defiles a person, Jesus says in 1511. Uh, and the reasoning Jesus gives in 1518, right? What comes out of the mouth actually comes from the heart, and it's what's in the heart that defiles a person. So it's not what you snack on that defiles you, it's what you sin on that defiles you. Now, this is significant to remember as we begin our section in verse 21 through 28. In the backdrop of the reader's mind at this point is what makes someone clean, who's clean and who's not, who's not clean, and what makes it so. And Jesus says, well, it actually has to do with their heart. It's not the externals that cleanses someone or renders someone unclean, but it's what's happening in the heart. So our text is right on the hills about Jesus teaching his disciples about who is defiled and what actually defiles in God's eyes. And that backs us right up into our passage. And please allow me to read it. And just so you know, this will be the best part of the sermon. Verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, 
It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Dear saints, this is God's word, and I am in the same custom that you are in. And when we hear God's word, we are thankful for God's word, and we show that gratitude by saying, thanks be to God. Uh, in this passage, we have a beautiful and compelling picture of God's grace toward the humble. We find that it's not someone's heredity that pleases God, but their humility. It's not someone's family ties, but their faith. And in this text, we have a simple and moving account of a Canaanite woman with great faith in Jesus. So right after this conversation about what makes someone clean or unclean, we have a situation that further proves the point. And we find that we're much more like the disciples than we like to admit, and we have need not just to be taught, but to be taught again and again. As Jesus sought to correct their understanding of what makes someone defiled and what does not, we have this woman who is far more than she seems to be in a situation in which far more is happening than might appear on the surface. Uh, to the Jewish cultured audience of Matthew's gospel, on the outside and at the outset, this woman seems to be someone God would completely, rightly pass by. She's from Tyre and Sidon, which would have been considered pagan territory, regions not centered on worshiping the Lord. Uh, this is the Jew and Gentile distinction popping up here yet again. Uh, those who are connected to the worship of God, right? Israel, the, the, the people of God, in the place of God's choosing. And we have those who are not, which is this Gentile, this woman who's come from a further off land than where they are. She's not a Jew. She's Syrophoenician, which we learned from Mark's parallel account. She's a Gentile. And we're supposed to read it, and when we hear where she's from, one of the flashers that's supposed to come over our mind is, oh, this is a Gentile. Let's see what happens. And that is clearly a point Matthew is making by giving us her address and her background info. Uh, before he explains this scenario, he quickly says, let me see some ID. Then he holds up the ID for us to see, and there's a reason for it. She's from Tyre and Sidon. If you're familiar with Matthew's gospel, you remember in chapter 11, that's one of the places that Jesus denounced, right? It was listed among the places like Sodom and Gomorrah who were regarded as unrepentant for sin and destined for coming judgment. That's where she's from. And notice how Matthew describes who she is. He says, and behold... Right, we're supposed to notice this. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out. Here Jesus keeps placing himself in the way of people who need him. And it's not what you would expect. It's not what we would expect. It's not what they would expect. In the normal course of travels, Jesus just always happened to put himself where people needed him. Now, the Jewish people prided themselves on their heritage and their history. And Matthew is saying, well, look at hers. 
Uh, look at her lineage. Look at her national identity, right? Look at her ethnicity. She's not from Israel. She's from Israel's enemies. She's a Canaanite. She's from Phoenicia in Syria. But while her ancestry says one thing about her, and that's how people primarily are trying to interact with her, we see that her humility says something completely different. She didn't just come out sinfully conceited and contending with Jesus. Okay, Lord, you just going to let us struggle like this? No, she comes out sincerely crying after Jesus. Have mercy on me. She is loudly and urgently crying out for mercy and help, and she doesn't care what other people think about her. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And any parent can completely relate to this kind of desperation. As long as her daughter was oppressed by a demon, she would be subjected to the deepest grief. Do we not as parents feel that worse than us suffering is that of our children? She knew the, the power that oppressed her baby girl was powerful beyond herself. She knew it was demonic even. And yet she knew that with the Lord is the dominion forever and ever. That King Jesus was able to deliver. We even get a small little statement of faith from her. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, in verse 22. And what we learn from the remainder of the discourse is this isn't her repeating some Bible-sounding words. This isn't easy believism at work, but this is the anchor of her hope. It's one thing to say things, it's another thing to show things, and she's saying and showing those things. We can talk about the will of God all we want. We can talk about the sovereignty of God all we want. We can talk about the rightness of his providence all we want. How do you act in suffering? Here she is, humble before the Lord, seeking the Lord's help, entreating the Lord's hand. And it sounds like the tax collector of Luke 18, does it not? So much is said in how someone approaches God in humility. Uh, we're told in the parable in, in uh, Luke 18 between the tax collector and the Pharisee that one was treated with contempt by others, but he was the one who was justified by God. And his whole prayer, his, his whole approach to God sounded exactly like hers, did it not? He didn't have the audacity to approach the, the temple with his shoulders back and his head raised. No, he was broken and contrite in heart. He was mindful of his own deservedness. He was mindful of his own unworthiness. He was mindful of his own uncleanness. And all he called out to God with is, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need mercy. Lord, you have it. And I heard that you're inclined to give it to those who ask. But we find the same posture in this woman. She knows Jesus is not just some random, powerful person, but she acknowledges him as the Messiah who has come to rule on God's behalf. This is shown in her not just saying, hey, guy, but she refers to him as he's been revealed in Scripture, as he has been communicated by the Jewish people, as he's been spoken of by God himself. She comes and regards him as the son of David, the heir to the kingdom of God, 
the kingdom that's established by God, whose government is on the shoulders of God forever. He's the one that's appointed to rule on God's behalf, who will execute judgment on all of God's enemies in his wrath, and who will deliver all of his people by his merciful hand. Uh, though the Pharisees, the so-called rulers and teachers of God's people, they didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't come to Jesus this way. They weren't marked by a humility that was inspiring. They weren't marked by a faith that amazed Christ. No, they were marked by a rejection of Jesus. They always thought Jesus was getting too much fame. He was getting too much honor. He was getting too much adoration. But everyone in the Bible that the Bible's propping up as someone who really gets who Christ is, they're the ones who abandon all for him. They're the ones who pour all the ointment on him. They're the ones who leave where they are and they come to him despite what's socially acceptable, despite what others might think. They come to Christ for what they need from Christ because they know who Christ is. We are to read this and be shocked that this Canaanite woman has received Jesus because it's on the backdrop of many in Israel denying Jesus. And if we were a Jewish audience at that time, we would have been shocked as they were. For us, though, now perhaps what's more shocking than her statement of faith, though, is how Jesus responds to her. We've read the Bible enough. We get the Bible enough to know that, yeah, desperate people come to Jesus. That's what they do. But what's up with Jesus' response to her? This feels like scripture shade right now Jesus is just silent to her verse 23 he did not answer her a word what I think is going on is that Jesus is trying to bring some stuff to the surface both in her and in us and ultimately, I think he's bringing some stuff to the surface of what's in himself. Uh, we know he intends to answer because he does answer, but it's almost as if he waits so that others can go first, which is exactly what happens. The disciples are more irritated by this woman than inspired by her. And she is begging Christ for help. They're begging for Christ to brush her off. Verse 23, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. Jesus, we're trying to do some, we're trying to talk about the Bible. She's over here crying, talking about help. Send her away. Now, who does that? Who is so bothered when needy people need Jesus? Well, what it was is they didn't like who was needing Jesus. They didn't like what it would mean for them. They liked that them and Jesus had something special going on, and they wanted to keep it that way. Right here in these moments of them walking with the heart of Christ literally in body form, they don't have his heart at all. What's happening here is I think the disciples are giving us the actual perspective of how this woman was viewed in context. This is part of how we know she was thought about. She's disregarded because of who she seems to be. 
And I think Jesus' initial response to her is testing her and testing the disciples, requiring her to reveal more faith, requiring the disciples to reveal more of their heart. Her heart is deep waters, and their heart is deep waters, and our heart is deep waters, and the Lord is drawing it out. And I think the way he does this is by giving them the phrases of the day. I think he's responding to her according to the flesh to see if she will respond by living in faith. I think Christ is here revealing if her faith is genuine. He's exposing whether she will shrink back or by faith persevere. I mean, just consider how it all plays out. Uh, she comes to Jesus and she has an earnest appeal, but Jesus doesn't say anything. And then after the disciples ask him to brush her away, he then responds with what the Jews would expect him to say in verse 24. Uh, he answers, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, we don't know the tone in which he said it. We don't know his intonation. He could have been looking at them when he said it to her. I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We don't know. I envision it going more like that. She responds to that with even more humility, though. She says, mm -mm. she comes and kneels before him. Like, Jesus, I need you to hear me. She says, Lord, help me. Jesus gives her another expected answer from the Jewish perspective, verse 26. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. In which she shows even more humility. She says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. How low can you go? What we're seeing is that this woman has some of the most honorable faith in all the land at this time. And she's not from where you thought she'd come from. She didn't look how they expected her to look. She wasn't from a certain kind of people they thought she was going to come from. Here you have this broken woman who knows who Jesus is, knows that Jesus is the only answer that's going to meet her needs, and she will press through everyone, every barrier, every social hindrance just to get her some Jesus. You can relate to that, can't you? I assume that you too know this Lord, that you too have been brought to such a low, that you too have been so empty, that when you hear the words of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus was preaching on the sermon, when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you say, that's me. When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, you say, yeah, that's me. Blessed are those who mourn, you say, yeah, that's me. You can relate to this emptiness, can you not? You've, you can relate to this brokenness, can you not? You can relate to God allowing you to come to the end of yourself so that you can finally enjoy his fullness and taste his goodness and know his presence. The disciples didn't quite get it yet. They got that Jesus was a king. They didn't get that. They were more, they were just as needy as she was. They were just as far as she was. They were just as desperate as she was. And, and God wants us to know we're all desperate. We're all far. We're all undeserving. 
and she shows us how we should sound. We're in an age where everybody feels entitled to get irritated with God if he says no. Lord, help me. No. What you mean, no? And it's like, oh, beloved, what's that heart? You can say, hey, Dad, can we have some pizza? No, we're not going to have pizza. I can't stand you. You're like, what happened? You guys do not do that to me. I just want you to know, I feel very honored by you. <laughs> but that's what people do with God. Oh, Lord, do this for me. He says no. Well, forget you then. You're not real. Who are you mad at? That's just pride disguised in a question. That's pride disguised in humility. That's what these disciples were. Proud, dressed up in, oh, you know, we're the Lord's disciples walking with Jesus. And you're actually asking Jesus to send people away who need his help. You do not know him yet. Again, we don't get the tone of how this all popped off. We don't know if he, he said it straight-faced. We don't know if he said it with a slight smile. But we do know the Lord intended to help her, that he's moved with compassion towards her, and that he wanted everyone to know that about himself. Earlier, you might remember, I believe it's in chapter 10, remember, they're getting mad because Jesus is sitting with Matthew. You know, this guy, Matthew. And like, oh, he's sitting with sinners and with tax collectors. You remember Jesus said, oh, you got to go and learn what it means. I desire mercy. God doesn't just give mercy because you beg him and pester him. No, no. He desires mercy. He's merciful. He's full of mercy. He delights to show mercy. He's pleased to show mercy. That's the only reason we got a gospel. It is not for our begging, beloved, that the Lord Jesus came, for he came while we were still weak, while we were still sinners. When we were not looking for him, he was looking for us. While we were not thinking of him, he was thinking on us. While we were running for him, he was diving to us. He's a, a, a Lord who, who de delights in showing mercy. I think that's why he's drawing this out and drawing her out so that he can draw us out. I mean, just consider some of the benefits to how this conversation played out. One reason I think he's drawing her out is for the disciples, right? It's clear that they are completely missing this tremendous expression of her faith. They're too busy focused on her externals, what she looks like, where she's from, that they are entirely missing how appropriately she is approaching their Lord. They are more self-righteous than they realize. And Jesus would have them to know that in order to humble them. Oh, so too with us. We are all more self-righteous than we realize. Oftentimes when we think of heaven, it's a room full of people who look and act and talk like us. That's how we situate our lives. It's often how we situate our churches. 
But the Lord Jesus went out of his way to bring people in who would think they had no claim on him, no right to him, didn't deserve him. And those are the ones he came for. Those are the ones he goes to. He, he loved to put himself in the way of people who would think God would have nothing to do with them because that's all people. There is no group of people that God's like, okay, y'all are nice. Yeah, okay, let's get some of the rugged ones too, but y'all, no, 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 this is the church, is it not? Consider your calling, brothers. How many of you for noble birth? He doesn't start at the academy. He doesn't go for the naturally wisest. He doesn't go for the best dress. He doesn't go for the best looking. No, no, he goes for the broken. He goes for the nothings. He goes for the sinners. And in this, his glory is magnified. The disciples despised her, but Jesus was delighted. Another reason I think we see how he's drawn her out is for, for us, right? Oh, beloved, have you not ever sinned so bad and so big that you think there is no way the Lord will receive me? Not because you're trying to be cute and not because you're trying to sound like a theological answer. I mean a feeling, the feeling of deep undeservedness that says, why in the world would he mess with me? He shouldn't forgive me. He shouldn't want me. He shouldn't walk with me. He shouldn't hear me. He shouldn't help me. I have no claim to his help. How she is is how we are, whether we know it or not. Because the truth is, if we never felt it, we should feel that. We do not deserve his help. We're not entitled to his help. He's not obligated to help us. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to some reformed folk. We get that. His purposes of election. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. It is his prerogative, his divine prerogative, and no one deserves it. Doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter who your peoples are, doesn't matter what family you're of, no one deserves it. And she gets it. She's the only person who is not God in this story who gets it. Some of us have struggled with the same poisonous self-righteousness as the disciples, but some of us have also struggled with this pride presented in an unworthiness that won't obey Jesus' call to come. I find it interesting that Jesus is always correcting the disciples for their little faith while he's talking to this woman like, wow. I mean, as we read the Gospels, we take note of a couple things. One thing is, note what Jesus rebukes so that we can turn from that in our life. So we see them on the boat, we see them freaking out, and Jesus is like, yo, you have little faith. Shh, calm down. We said, shh. 
And one of the things we're supposed to take away from that is, okay, let us be committed to know him better and to freak out less. Let us remember our God is in the boat with us. I mean, next day, <laughs> boat happened, we still freaking out, like, we're gonna die. Um, right, so we take note of when the oh, ye of little faith because we recognize we often have little faith, and, but we don't wanna just be that way. The goal is not to just always hear, oh, ye of little faith. Praise the Lord by his grace, even if that's all you ever hear on the last day, because of Jesus, you'll hear, good and faithful servant. Praise the Lord. Our labor and sanctification you know, is to grow in trusting the Lord. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And that ends with, oh, for grace to trust him more. But now we to look at the rebukes. We're supposed to look at the commendations. Oh, do we not want to be those whom the, there's real people who by God's spirit actually encourage They encourage appropriate commendation for how they trust the Lord. There's, there's people who actually are trusting the Lord, and it's actually commended. And we, we too, want to pursue that. We want to pursue a faith that pleases God. We want to pursue trusting him above our circumstances. We want to pursue God being pleased with us based on how we honor him. What it must have been like to hear from the mouth of God. You got some faith for me. Even as dudes, we hear that. We say, I want that. You don't want him to call you a woman, but you're like, oh. This isn't because these are super people. No, no, no. Every commendation of faith, we're always reminded how regular they were. Elijah was just a man, and he prayed, and the Lord heard. This Canaanite woman was just a Canaanite woman, but the Lord saw her faith. Another reason he's drawing her out is for her. God is kind to refine our faith through the testing of it. And it's through perseverance that we prove ourselves genuine. Her faith was made her a bother to people, but it was beautiful to God. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she's worthy of praise. Oh, let her boldness be seen and let us imitate her faith. And I think in here we also have a lesson about seeking the Lord and the need to seek him diligently. After all, we're told that's what true faith is, believing that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I just want to offer a quick word of prayer even here. Many Christians pray like temper tantrums. We ask, and if the response is initially declined, we throw our bodies on the floor stomp our feet, we fold our arms and say, well, I'm not praying for that anymore. We act out, we kick and we scream in disobedience. And this is nothing like the Lord Jesus who said multiple times, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. 
And if God's goodness is now under question because your, your request is not answered to your liking, do not be surprised it goes with a no. Uh, James tells us, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That's actually an adulterous heart. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Often what we can really learn, not only about the Lord, but about ourselves, is how we're actually operating in relationship with him. And there's fewer places we see the real us than when God says a real no. I was at a church in New Jersey, and the minister was, this has become a, a joke in our home, but the minister was, was preaching to the congregation just about how we all put facades on, right? He says, fellas, you go, and you on a date, and you got your hair cut. You got your best outfit on. You don't normally look like that. He said, you should catch you on Thursday night, bald spot showing, hair unlined up. Shirt, not tucked in and pressed. He said, guess what? That's the real you. He said, ladies, you spend hours putting makeup on. You go home, take hours to scrape it off. He said, and you look in the mirror. He said, guess what? That's the real you. <laughs> oh, how we act when God says no. It's not us having off days, beloved. That's often the real you. And Jesus is exposing the real her. And the real her is beautiful. She shows us the way forward is never in becoming more proud. It's always in becoming more humble because he gives grace to them. We saw that in the first exchange, the Lord responds to her supplication with silence. And what a lesson to us, even as we pray, that though we may not retrieve an answer on the first or on the second, let us continue asking. It is necessary that our faith be refined and our motives be purified. And we can learn from this text that God's delay in responding is often intended to help us express more dependency on him, not less. His silence does not show that he has not heard. And it does not mean that he will not help. Certainly this doesn't mean God will give us all we want, but it does mean that if we ask according to his will, it will be done for us. His promises are true. And the matter of significant care to us is a matter of significant concern to him. Keep asking, saint. No, he might seem to tarry in response, Wait for him, he always will. Be humble and keep asking. Be humble and keep asking. And don't give up until he answers. Here we see in how Jesus blesses her, an important lesson for all of us, that Jesus' invitation to come to him, all who labor and are heavy laden, and he will give you rest, here we learn that that all is a very real all that that all is truly for everybody. Jesus is actually really meaningfully able to help all who come to him if they come to him in faith and with a believing heart. This woman would have seemed defiled to the Pharisees. She would have seemed unclean to the disciples, but God looks at 
the heart, right? Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And Jesus sees in this unlikely person undeniable faith. She knew that a little from the Lord was more than enough to meet all of her needs. Right? She, 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 she comes to the Lord and kneels, and as she kneels, he knights her with honor, right? He crowns her with commendation. He rewards her for diligently seeking him. Then Jesus answered her in verse 28. He says, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And, your and her daughter was healed instantly. Oh, this Gentile group was understood to be far from God. They did not have his promises. They were strangers to his covenants. They were without God. They had no recognized share in God's commitments to help his people. They were by birth and by belief the enemies of God. They did not worship and serve the true living God, for God had not chosen to make his dwelling place with them. That's what it meant for them to be a Gentile. It meant to be not of the people God deals with. To be without God and all who are without God are without hope. But the purpose of God in choosing a people to himself, for himself, was to draw everybody to himself. Israel was chosen first, beloved, but Israel was not chosen only, right? This was obvious from the beginning of Israel when God promised to Abraham that through your seed, I'm going to bless all the nations. And we know that that blessing was realized through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. God promised Abraham he would make a mighty nation of him, that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed by someone coming through him that eventually would come an offspring, a son of Abraham, a son of David, who would be the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who would bless and save not just Israel, but would bless and save all the nations of the earth. The Matthew's gospel begins by saying, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. The champ is here, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. The king is here. The one from Abraham, the son of David, the Jesus, the savior of the world. And Matthew's gospel is filled with fulfilling evidence that Christ came for the people that we're inclined to think are too far from God. We see this in the wise men who seek Christ to worship him. They're called wise men from the east. After the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus found more faith in a Gentile centurion than he found anywhere in Israel. And here, this Canaanite woman joins the ranks of those demonstrating that salvation has dawned on the earth and salvation in Christ is made available to all. This is the gospel, right? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Canaanites, and even now it's come to us. And we've tried this, and we've tried him, and we found that he's telling the truth, that he loves to show mercy. Is that not the testimony of your own Christian walk, that he loves to show mercy, that you get to keep coming to him, asking for help, and he keeps hearing, and he keeps helping? And if there's any listener in here today who is unsaved, there's any here who, who does not know God, does not recognize him as Lord and King. Learn from this woman, follow in her steps. Come to the King and get help. 
Now, we love that Jesus came for those who are far off from him. That's the point. When we were stuck in our sin, when we were far off from God, having no hope, no God, God came to us in Christ, and he welcomes us in his mercy. Jesus did not primarily come to heal people of their bodily sicknesses. He came especially to save his people from their sins. This is why he's called what he's called. This is why the angels say, call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this he did by dying on the cross as a substitute, suffering a sinner's death in our place, experiencing the judgment of God for us breaking God's law. And he did this all so that we might experience his mercy, his delivering, pardoning, saving, restoring, reconciling mercy. And his resurrection from the dead holds heaven open to anybody who wants to come. Anybody who wants to come to God, Christ props the door open by his resurrected arm and says, come and be welcomed. And when you look to heaven, what do we see? We see a king, a resurrected king, seated on a throne of mercy. And on that, that throne he has, it's the throne of grace where he dispenses mercy for all of our times of need. It's a message of mercy. He's a king of mercy, and he wants us to be the people of mercy. And anyone who feels themselves unworthy, everyone who knows they are unclean, we're supposed to be out there saying, no, 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 me too. But let me tell you what he does. He welcomes the weak. He welcomes the filthy. He welcomes the dirty. He welcomes the defiled. He welcomes those who made the big mistakes. He welcomes those who have done the worst. This was Paul's testimony to Timothy. Listen, the saying is trustworthy and it deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners even the big ones. I love to remind people Charles Spurgeon in speaking of the ripping of the veil says it was ripped from the top to the bottom so that even big sinners can make their way through. Oh, he invites all everyone who's oppressed by the devil's power, who's bruised by the world's sinful corruption. Christ in his mercy welcomes you. Oh, learn from this Canaanite woman. She gets that he's the Lord. She gets that he's the king, that he sits on a throne of grace and he rocks a crown of mercy. <sighs> Listen, he can forgive all your sin, bring you into a right relationship with himself. And he's always eager to forgive all your sin and bring you to a right relationship with himself. And for those of us who are disciples of Christ as we close, let us leave here with fresh eyes this morning. May there not be in us any contempt for any kind of person. May we not harbor any kind of looking down on others. May we not forget that we are just as needy as everyone else is, that we were just as far as everyone else is, and we have great, as great a need for mercy as everyone else does. 
Let us leave her with fresh eyes, right? May we never think there's a certain kind of person that's more special to God than another kind of person. May we never believe that any group of people is more savable than another group of people or more close to the kingdom of God. May we rightly condemn any thought that makes us say, they're super far. I don't even know if God can save them. As if you were not just as far, and yet he saved you. Let us offer Christ to everyone. I think let us remember the way that Jesus operated, right? His MO. Let us place ourselves in the paths of those that need him. And whoever we meet, may we offer him as the merciful Christ that he is. Let us hold forward the mercy of Christ to all. And in our churches, let us fully welcome all who, like this woman, come and kneel before him. Let's pray. Oh, dear Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has come to save us and that he hears us, that in his mercy he helps us. Oh, Lord, I pray for any here that their feelings might not keep them from asking for help. If there's any here who know they need help with their sin, oh, would you cause them to cry to you for help? For those of us who have unbelieving family members, help us to cry to you for help. Oh, if there's any here that know they're far, might the coming of Christ be an encouragement for them to draw near to him who loves to draw near to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.